1: With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This this
0: is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We
1: are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. I can't believe it. When well, we're recording this right now, the Cincinnati Bengals are one week away from training camp and the training camp storylines. We'll get to all of that. Earlier uh, last week, we actually did a coach profile. One of the things we're doing over the last three weeks is player profiles, coach profiles when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals and expectations, outlooks, maybe a little bit of look back on those players or coaches since we did Lou Anarumo last week, we're going to do Zach Taylor, and I thought we would combine Brian Callahan and Joe Burrow. Not Zach Taylor as the head coach, but more on the offensive coordinator side. Mike, how you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Weekend? When? Asked Whatever. Whatever. Uh, no, I'm doing all right. Yeah, uh, I love doing last uh, last week. We did the defensive coordinator, and we didn't really get into. I feel like we could have, if we wanted to, gotten into like a married hobby type thing. But with this one, you have the play caller and the head coach, along with the offensive coordinator. And then maybe a little bit look at Dan Pitcher or Frank Pollock or any of those guys. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy for this podcast. I'm excited for this podcast and that it's the weekend.
1: It is the weekend as we're recording this. You'll hear it on a Wednesday morning, but we are uh, recording it on a Friday, just a little behind the, the scenes here. And I'm really excited to talk about when it comes to the offensive coordinator, we'll start with Brian Callahan. Then we'll get to Zach Taylor, Dan Pitcher, and we could even talk a little Frank Pollock on this episode, but Brian Callahan was a candidate for head coaching jobs over the last few seasons. Um, you know, he had those interviews. And to be completely honest with you, I thought for sure that he was going to go to the Indianapolis Colts and it didn't work out and Brian Callahan's back. Can we talk a little bit about Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator over the last few years? And I know Zach Taylor is going to be the main playing caller, play caller, but let's let's talk Brian Callahan.
0: Yeah, I think Brian Callahan, because of Joe Burrow, has actually had more of his fingerprints on this offense than Zach Taylor does. Just because when you look at Zach Taylor's history, it's a lot of under center stuff. There's the wide zone stuff from McVay, but with Brian Callahan, the main thing I think of with him is when he was with the Broncos during Peyton Manning's time there. And that just feels so much like before his arm and body was just completely shot. Uh, what, What would that be like 20 whenever he went there, 2012, 2013, maybe until 2014, 2015. Um, yeah, 2015 is when he was done. That, that was that was dead Peyton, just hand the ball off type thing. But when Peyton was in charge, and uh, he was, even though it was Gary Kubiak, kind of similar situation. Gary Kubiak's the head coach. Gary Kubiak is one of the wide zone guys from that Broncos team that made didn't create it, but made it famous and perfected it. Alex Gibbs, Gary Kubiak, and of course Mike Shanahan. So, Gary Kubiak's the head coach. What does Gary Kubiak want to do? He wants to get under center, run wide zone. What does Peyton Manning want to do? He wants to play the shotgun. He wants to play the shotgun, spread it out, and throw the ball. That's the head coach and quarterback. That sounds just so much to me like Zach Taylor. What's Zach Taylor used to do? He wanted to get under center, run wide zone, and do that. What's Joe Burrow want to do? He wants to get out there. He wants to spread the field. And look, quarterback wins. Quarterback's going to win that argument every time. You're going to play to your quarterback. So, especially when they're that good. So, I think when you're looking at the Bengals' offense, I see a lot of the bones of the Broncos' offense from that early 2010s time. And that could have. There's some concepts that have gone in, and you could see them there. There's some stuff that I don't even think Joe Burrow does well, but Brian Callahan threw in There's like, yeah, Peyton Manning like this. <laughs> uh, there's one specific play, but I don't want to talk about it right now just because I don't want to waste time. But, uh yeah, it, it seemed like Joe Burrow's not doing well on this, but it was a Peyton Manning staple. Um, he was uh, the Broncos' assistant. He was on the staff from 2010 through 2015. And I just think that gave him a wealth of experience of dealing with a quarterback like Joe Burrow with because he was dealing with Peyton Manning, dealing with a shotgun, almost exclusive offense at times. And as much as... His dad, Bill Callahan, wants to get under center and run the ball. It seems like Brian hasn't taken that so much. Like it's there just because it's his dad. I'm sure he, from very early age, Bill was trying to tell him, like, yeah, this is you know this is football. We do this, we do this, and then. But his time with the Broncos, I felt like, is where you can mostly see the prints of the Bengals. Of the, You can mostly see the Prince of the Bengals offense. So the Broncos, they spread things out. They throw the ball. The, um, I don't think the screen game is the same. The Broncos love screens, and Peyton Manning loved those as well. Just, But the idea of let's spread it out, let's get shotgun almost exclusively, and let's just throw the ball. I think that comes a lot from Brian Callahan more than it does Zach Taylor.
1: Do you think there's anything with Brian Callahan and, and we'll get to more of Zach Taylor, Frank Pollock, Dan Pitcher, Joe Burrow on the offensive play calling side that you've been surprised with, with him as the offensive coordinator?
0: Um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard with Brian because he's been the offensive coordinator not the play caller. And it's always hard divvying who's doing what up. Um, I guess some of the – they would – like Kurt Fad type plays, like that shovel at the goal line, those type of things. I'm a little surprised they're even throwing that in there. It's like I mean, I guess you get inspiration from everywhere, but why? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't think I see – he was the Lions quarterback coach at one point, and he worked under John Gruden as a quarterback coach, so – none of those just really feel the same as what the Bengals' offense is now because I feel like what they wanted to do was kind of create that Broncos, Peyton Manning, even that Colts, which Peyton brought with him, type of feel for the offense with it being so gun-heavy spread out and everything like that. I don't I don't think there's anything that surprised me too much with him, but some of that could just be that he's not the play caller, so I, I don't exactly know what goes into what he's doing. I can see his fingerprints all over the offense with that early 2010s Broncos, but I can't point out like, oh, that you know, it's surprising they're doing that.
1: I want to say it was a couple of years ago, maybe not last season, but the year they went to the Super Bowl, there would be times when uh, Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, I'm sure Dan Pitcher was involved, and Brian Callahan would sit in the room maybe the Saturday or Friday before a game, and they would talk about three of their favorite players. And just kind of agree what they, you know, go into that game, that next series, because you do have different people. You have Zach Taylor as the play caller, but you have Brian Callahan, who I feel like is a very intelligent offensive guy in the room. And it's, it's huge to have him back on the sideline. And then you get a guy like Dan Pitcher, who could be Brian Callahan's replacement if Brian Callahan gets a head coaching job next season. Um, that's why I think it's huge that Dan Pitcher is still a quarterback coach and with Joe Burrow again. Uh, But overall, I kind of want to move over to Pitcher. And when it comes to quarterback play and having a quarterback coach, I know it's really easy for a lot of people. They point to, yeah, you have Joe Burrow as your quarterback, so it's really easy to succeed in certain offensive scenarios or how the offense looks like. Or you point to the wide receivers when you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. It's easy to kind of get your offense rolling. But when you look at Dan Pitcher just in the quarterback room alone, do you see anything with Joe Burrow? over the last few seasons that that would be accredited to for the quarterback coach.
0: Dan Pitcher's interesting because he was a player for, he was a quarterback at Colgate University in Hamilton, New York, and then he spent three years with, I guess, oh, he spent three years there and then transferred his hometown of SUNY, New York, Cortland, which I also don't know about. <laughs> 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 it's just like, look at this. I don't even know his playing career. It's like D3 New York stuff. They joined the Red Dragons, uh, which the SUNY Cortland Red Dragons, I think, as their wide receiver coach. Spent one season there before going to the Colts as a scouting assistant, promoted to a pro scout in 2014, and then hired by the Bengals to 2016 as an offensive assistant, working with the wide receivers. Now he's with the quarterbacks in 2018. He was a holdover, one of the few from the Marvin Lewis to Zach Taylor era. Um, but yeah, I, to me, it's almost, well, Alex Van Pelt was there mm-hmm. until 2020, but what, what is the Dan pitcher ideas of, of the offense? Because I have no idea Yeah, because his coaching history is not something I could really look through too easily and see like, ah, okay. Like I just did with Brian Callen, like, oh, the, the early tens Broncos, like that's, that's where he gets a lot of his inspiration. Look at Pitcher. It's like Division Three New York college football, the Colts for like three years, and then he's in Cincinnati the rest of the time. So I think he's doing a great job because the quarterback's playing great, and he's going to play a big part in that. But it's hard to figure out what exactly does Dan Pitcher do. And other than, he does the, the individual drills with the quarterback. Yeah. He got Joe Burrow over his fear of stepping up into the pocket, stepping through trash in the pocket after the ACL. But like Brian Callahan and saying, I don't know exactly what he does. This is almost to another degree. I have no idea what Dan Pitcher does other than just he works with the quarterbacks. What are his prints on the offensive design? I'm sure they exist, but I don't know.
1: Well, there has to be more behind the scenes than just Joe Burrow when it comes to Dan Pitcher, yeah. because I don't think the Bucks are calling and saying, hey, let's do an interview. And they we're really serious about it.
0: That's what I was saying, too, is just like, I think there's his fingerprints are on this offense. Yeah, but I can't really pick him out because of his history and not really knowing much about anything that he's done besides work with the Bengals.
1: Yeah, I think um, I want to say Paul Daner. I always give Paul Daner credit. He has a lot of good pieces out there. but He did one last season. Um, it could have been last season or the season before when it comes to Dan Pitcher and the breakdown and the excitement level. And, of course, when you look in the NFL, everybody wants that young offensive mind. Um, and it, it, it's all over. Rarely does the defensive coordinator get a job. Hence, you see uh, Lou Anaromo right now, and he's he's returning to the Cincinnati Bengals. But um, I, I, I would love to know more when it comes to the breakdown and, and what you give credit to when it comes to Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor, and Dan Pitcher, and then now Joe Burrow, who's a voice in the offensive room too over the last few seasons. So, um, yeah, he, it, when when you look around the NFL, it seems like a lot of people are like, this guy is 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 going to be something really good when it comes to an offensive coordinator as far as his future. And the Cincinnati Bengals, when he was doing his interview with the Bucks last year in January, gave him a contract extension. Um, you know, I don't know what that sounded like. Well, hey, we're going to give you more money. We're going to also give you this extension if you stay with Cincinnati and you turn down the OC job. Um, but would love to know more kind of behind the scenes when it comes to Dan Pitcher. I just know it's really easy to point in the room and say, yeah, Joe Burrow." Okay. Well, he makes it, he makes your job pretty easy in certain situations. Um, but do you look around the NFL at any other uh, offensive coordinator rooms and say, are, is there that many people uh, when it comes to the offensive play calling in, and, and just the offensive side of the ball alone? Yeah, most
0: of the time you hear about the head coaches or offensive coordinators, play callers in general, they're saying it's a combined effort. And I remember listening to Sean McVay talk about when he had, you know, like Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor and uh, all these other guys, like they are relaying stuff down to him to call the offense. And when you listen to like Andy Reid talk about how their offense is designed, it's basically like, look, if somebody's got an idea, they've got an idea. Let's I'll hear anybody out. You know, put it up on the board and let's listen to it. Um, I will say the other part with Pitcher. I think a lot of people are interested also because they want young and he's 36. Mm-hmm. So that's also why I don't know that much about him. But <laughs> he has been in the NFL since he was 29 as an offensive assistant. So that's a long time there. Um, they've actually been in the NFL since he was 25 as a scouting assistant. So very young when he got started. Um, and the other thing I want, I want to say about Pitcher. Is his senior season at SUNY Cortland, Red Ra- the the Red Dragons. He was a finalist for the Gagliardi, Gagliardi Trophy, which is the Division Three equivalent of the Heisman. So he was he was a baller. He wasn't just playing D three football. He he was a stud D three football player.
1: Um, why people need to talk about this? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're- somebody find
0: the Dan pitchers SUNY Cortland uh, highlight reel.
1: If you find it, please, when we tweet out this podcast episode, make sure you reply with the highlight reel. Uh, We have no prizes to give you, but now we need to see the highlight reel. Uh, Yeah, but we'll we'll see what happens with Dan Pitcher. Do you think Brian Callahan will be an offensive coordinator in Cincinnati after the 2023 season?
0: No, I think this is the final year for him. I, I think he's too hot of a candidate. Last year I wouldn't have been surprised if he got the job. Like I was saying, I would be kind of surprised if Luana Rumo was hired mm-hmm. as a head coach just because of what the NFL looks for, not because of and Rumo's um anything about him. It's specifically what these guys want. Brian Callahan is what they want. He's young, he's an offensive mind, he's on a really good team, that they're gonna want those ideas. And pitcher, this could I think would be the guy that steps into the offensive coordinator role. And then I would still have no idea what is his specific unique fingerprints because I go like, well, is he, just, is he doing a lot of what like Brian was doing? And Zach Taylor's still the play caller. So it's fun to look into them. But the offensive side other than Zach Taylor, well, I don't think Brian's too hard to figure out what he's bringing, but where's the line drawn because he's not calling plays makes things a little bit difficult. And with pitcher, I feel like doubly
1: well all right well there's more i want to get to when it comes to zach taylor and frank pollock on the offensive side of the ball next on it's always game day in cincinnati
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization
1: striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This this is It's Always
0: Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsay Patterson and Mike Santagata.
1: We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata on here. We are doing a little coach's profile already talking. Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher uh, to be determined on what the offensive room looks like after the 2023 season. But they're bringing all their coaches back right now. Let's talk Zach Taylor. Uh, We don't have to talk Zach Taylor, the head coach, when it comes to culture. He's doing absolutely amazing things, obviously getting them over their hump when they won a playoff game over two years ago or a little over a year ago, Um, winning five playoff games. Honestly, it's absolutely huge in the last two years. But overall, when it comes to this offense as a play caller, because I know a lot of people were calling for Zach Taylor's job early on in the season in 2022, but it seemed to settle down and he's really getting the hang of things when it comes to an offensive play caller.
0: Yeah, um I think Taylor's improved every year and he's the one that you can most clearly see. Like you don't know exactly like this is Taylor, this is Cal, but you can most clearly see as a play caller, I think he's improved a bit. You can point back to different points. I think early on in his career, it was just he wanted to do the Sean McVay thing. But then it's like, well, we don't have the guys to do that. So then how does he adapt to that? And then how do you adapt to getting a quarterback like Joe Burrow? It feels like he's been very open with taking assistance ideas and letting them do things. That's the Brian Callahan, Peyton Manning type offense that I think that they are trying to push into there. I do see a little bit of that. None of these guys have the experience, but the Sean Payton, Drew Brees thing in there as well. But that comes because Joe Brady at LSU started under Sean Payton. So that's kind of what a different version of uh, what the Saints teams were doing with Drew Brees. But I mean, look at Taylor's history because looking at all of them. Also, a gamer, a baller, Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year as a quarterback for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. <laughs> Huskers, <laughs> Nebraska Cornhuskers. He was a big Big Twelve Player of the Year. He took him to the Big Twelve Championship against the Oklahoma Sooners. I assume they lost that game because Google is telling me they made an appearance. Not that they won it, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was awesome. Went to the combine. Went undrafted. But uh, did not break five seconds since forty five oh six. Did everything at the combine. Did his vertical, his broad jump. Um, went undrafted in two thousand seven. He got signed by the Bucks, but got cut. As he was packing to leave for training camp, he went to Canada and joined the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the CFL. And he was there for a season on their practice roster, but didn't return in two thousand eight. And then he started coaching and uh he started coaching under his father-in-law Mike Sherman uh at Texas A&M i think that is important to look at because Mike Sherman does have a little bit more of an idea of a spread system than what i think everybody's going to look at with Zach Taylor which was in 2017 when he joined the Rams even in 2012 with the Dolphins uh, he was named the assistant quarterback coach in 2015. He got promoted to the interim offensive coordinator after Bill Lazor was fired. And when you trace that all the way back, I feel like um, you go into the Bill Lazor of it. Bill Lazor got his start with the Chip Kelly Eagles. And so you could see that having an idea in there. Bill Lazor also bangles famously. <laughs> um
1: oh, man. Remember those days
0: yeah right (laughs) but uh you know it's just like there's more spread stuff in that dolphins team than there was but then you get to the rams that's so west coast sean McVay, wide zone quick game under center boots rollouts and that is what zach Taylor wanted to do when he first got to cincinnati it felt like he was trying to do that and then just realized he didn't have the guys for it um then you it's just one year then you get joe burrow and you're going to try a little bit but you're also going to you know Burrow's going to run his college offense to make the transition as easy as possible. And then 2021 it felt that wide zone stuff still existed in there but that was uh that was the spread but I felt like this past year was just like they're just fully a spread team now. I think that's your biggest difference with his history and you have a couple of guys he's coached under that did run some somewhat spread type stuff uh but you didn't have his what feels like his biggest influence was sean McVay, and while there is still some of that there they run some of those shanahan McVay concepts in the passing game they do not go by so much of what shanahan and McVay want to do which is condense the formation they want to be spread out Condensed versus spread out. Big difference there. Under center versus shotgun. He kept trying to live under under center at times. It's just, it, it, I feel like it's dead. They don't have the guys for it. Um, so it's not, it's almost not recognizable to what a Sean McVay offense is. Like if you watch the Bengals and you didn't tell them anything about the coaching history about either one of these teams, then you watch the Rams. I feel like a lot of that would go like, yeah, I mean, these aren't really related offenses. So there's a little bit of his history with Mike Sherman and you know, the Dolphins, but I feel, I feel like it's more of that Peyton Manning influence on this spread that the Bengals are currently running. Uh, but yeah, that's that's Zach Taylor's history, but we can kind of actually dissect a little bit more into him specifically just because we know he is the play caller.
1: Yeah, I, I want to get into really Zach Taylor, and we can compare. I feel like 2021 and 2022 would be a good comparison because there were highs, there were lows, and, and one of the games that – I remember and i know joe burrow was kind of on a pitch count as far as him coming back from his acl and they were taking it pretty easy early on in the season but one of my favorite joe burrow games was the 49ers loss and everyone's always like why would you pick a loss to be your favorite joe burrow game because it just felt like joe was on fire in the fourth quarter i think we'll we'll never forget those connections with jamar chase but i also remember and this is one of the cons of when zach taylor was um you know obviously he's he's the play color and the head coach but He almost—I feel like you don't take it out of his Joe Burrow's hands in overtime, and they won the game. And Zach Taylor, to his credit, admitted after the game, like, "Look, that's on me. That's on me." You know that loss um, when you when you take the the ball out of Joe's hands when he's on fire and he's doing a really great job in the fourth quarter. You let them throw. They tried to run. Didn't work out for them. They lost in overtime to the 49ers. And everybody knows, you know, you have two turnovers in the 49ers territory. Then that's not going to help you early on in the game either. But Zach Taylor admitted, you know, that was a bad decision from him. So that's kind of one of the games I remember early on from 2021 that really stands out. Um, I know a lot of people could look at the Super Bowl, uh, the final drive and say, "What? what are you doing? why is Maja Ryan out there? Uh, there was some bad decisions, but there's also a lot of pros. And I feel like we started to see that after you could say week five, week six for the Cincinnati Bengals in 2022.
0: Yeah, I felt like the 2021 Bengals relied a lot on just like three or four concepts in the passing game. And they just had the guys to just let it rip. There was other stuff in there, but it very much felt like we're better than you. So then when teams adapted to take away those concepts, which is early this year, What do you have now? And I feel like this year is where you can be the most bullish on Zach Taylor because he first – well, he already got away from what he's comfortable with a little bit, but now he's just fully away from that because he even had to get away from the stuff that worked last year um, and just kind of figure out an offense on the fly almost. It felt like week five, and it wasn't even the bye week, week five, uh was when the well that's when the run game changed but i would say they got into shotgun all the time i felt like the saints game is when the passing game changed like they they were like okay we can't run this stuff everybody watched us we went to the super bowl (laughs) so we have to run some new stuff and it worked and then i feel like another reason this past year is because he lost jamar chase in the middle of the year and they were still great at least after that first game the second game, third game, fourth game, while Jamar Chase was out, it was like, okay, this offense still looks good. They're, like they do, They're doing different things at times. I think that's one of the best qualities you can have as a play caller is to be adaptable and to change with what's happening, not trying to run the same type of thing, even if you lose a guy or it's not working. And Zach Taylor clearly has that. I think – I think a lot of uh, people might have been a little bit down on Taylor in 2021, even though he went to the Super Bowl. Just because when you look at the offense, it didn't feel like it. It felt more like the players and the defense kind of carried that a little bit. And then this past year, I would say Zach Taylor showed a lot as a play caller of things that we like and that have been shown to work throughout uh, the past couple years. It just Love the adaptability, love the culture that he brings. We're not really talking too much about that. He changed everything there and just love that he's gotten better every year. So the potential feels like he still could get even better as an offensive play caller.
1: And, and I should, I when I say we shouldn't talk culture when it comes to Zach Taylor, I, I always kind of feel bad saying that because that's a big part of who Zach Taylor is when it comes to his head coach. Um, but with him being also the play caller, it's kind of like, let's focus on the offense, what he does as a play caller, but at the same time, you know, credit to him an overall product because you can go back to his first year in Cincinnati and it, and it did feel like a disaster. Um, I joke all the time. And I feel like when he made the quarterback decision and Andy Dalton's final year in Cincinnati, that Zach Taylor should have won coach of the year because he put them in play for Joe Burrell, uh when he decided I'm mm, going to bench Andy Dalton on his birthday. And uh, we're going to make this change when it comes to the quarterbacks. And obviously Zach Taylor's not losing on purpose or anything like that. But he's like, let's, let's see what we have back here because the future probably isn't andy Dalton, you know and and it it really uh, early on in that season i would have been surprised oh andy Dalton's not back in 2020 and it it just worked out that way and i feel like zach taylor doing that his first year as a head coach a lot of people question it this guy's too young um he's not sean McVay. what are you doing not working out you get that early on in 2020 joe burrow goes down with an injury um and then the steelers game on monday night football which we talked about a couple podcasts ago I feel like things were finally changing with Zach Taylor, and in 2021, he takes him to a Super Bowl, and, and yes, he had the talent around him, which is absolutely huge, and then you see what they're able to do in 2022, so it does feel, I, I agree with you, I feel like 2023, you're really going to get the big overall picture when it comes to Zach Taylor as a play caller, and, and being able to go against some of these defense who, they have figured them out, or they figured it out figured them out early in 2022, and they adapted, and that is credit to him, and one of the things that I really like about him, and yes, as a head coach, that's kind of your responsibility. But when you listen to him in a post-game press conference after a loss over the last few years, which they haven't had a whole lot, he's really honest about how the game went and he puts it all on him every single time. Uh, and, and a lot of people will question it. You know, why were you doing that? That, that was a terrible decision. Uh, give up the play calling. Should the play calling go to Brian Callahan? I remember bringing it up early on in 2022. Well, maybe Brian Callahan should have more of an influence. We just don't know what happens behind the scenes when it comes to some of those decisions. Zach Taylor could throw himself under the bus and it could have been a Brian Callahan call, or it could have been a Joe Burrow call. And, and Zach's like, "Mm, it's on me. It's on me. I made that decision. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like we really are going to I'm I'm looking forward to, just after listening to Brian, Brian Callahan on the last two pod episodes um, w- with uh, Locked On and Dave Lapham, that the expectations should be extremely high with Zach Taylor.
0: Yeah, I think agree wholeheartedly with all of that. Um, I think Zach Taylor it's gotten better. Potential's there. I think you should expect him to be even better this Year coming up uh we have just a little bit of time to maybe touch on frank pollock who interesting nfl player i think the only one out of everybody that's been mentioned mm-hmm. played for the 49ers from 90 to 91 and then also 94 to 97. i don't know how many rings that is but i'm sure it's at least one because 49ers then were <laughs> always winning 92 93 with the broncos uh where i think he gets a lot of his influence is when he was an assistant offensive line coach with the texans from 2007 to 2011. Because that is Gary Kubiak, your head coach, which we already talked about, wide zone guy. And I mentioned it earlier in segment. Alex Gibbs was the offensive line coach at the time, who was two so two thirds of the offensive line uh, or uh, of the wide zone masterminds of the NFL. And Frank Pollock played for them in the nineties, I believe, at least ninety two, ninety three. So there's a lot there to say. Like, okay, I think Frank Pollock, at his core, he's a wide zone guy. Like, that's also probably a little bit of why Zach Taylor wanted him. He's like, oh, but, you know, I guess he also got rid of him at one point. But (laughs) brought him back because Zach Taylor's a wide zone guy. Frank Pollock's a wide zone guy. Were they trying to run all of 2021? Wide zone. Were they trying to run at the start of 2022? Wide zone. Did it work? No. And I just find it very impressive that Frank Pollock, as the run game coordinator, easy to see what he's doing uh, because nobody else deals with the run game as much as him. Uh, But, yeah, he – as a run game coordinator to take your run game and everything you believe in that you have been brought up on as a coach. And it's kind of go like, this isn't working. Let's just do an entire different run game. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many offensive line coaches slash run game coordinators would be able to do that. So c- talked about adaptability with Zach Taylor, but that's, that's like the peak of adapt- adaptability with the run game coordinator.
1: There's more I want to get to with Frank Pollock when it comes to offensive line coaches, a little more on the offensive side of the ball next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.
0: This this, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
1: We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. This is very offensive heavy because I'm going to be completely honest with you, we've on the defensive side of the ball for the last few weeks. Uh, We talked a lot of player profiles. We did Lou Anarumo really heavy uh, about a week ago. So now we moved on to the offensive side of the ball to talk Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher, a little Frank Pollock in our last segment, but I actually want to continue that conversation. There are a couple things for Frank Pollock that really stand out for me personally. And and we've kind of talked about changing and adapting. And and you you saw that early on in 2022. One of the things for me that really stands out for Frank Pollock, and you have new pieces. I think a lot of people have to remember that when it comes to the offensive line, it was taking a minute. I know a lot of people look at Joe Mixon's season last year, and he also has that additional role of the run game coordinator and offensive line coach. Um, I I think you could kind of say the same with Frank Pollock going into the season. There still was a lot of question marks. But also people have to look at what Frank Pollock had in the Super Bowl in 2021. And then also just this past season, when it comes to the AFC Championship game, when it comes to the backup, um, offensive linemen, there was a clip from the Bills game, the divisional game. And I remember Frank Pollock talking to the guys. It was Jackson Carmen. Um, oh, goodness, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought of just the – Cordell Lawson could have been on the bench, but, uh, but I apologize if I'm missing one of the offensive line players who he was talking to. And he was pretty much just pumping them up about people doubting them, going into that divisional game. And, and you could tell that Frank had all the guys' backs. And getting those guys prepared for such a big game on the road in those conditions I thought was absolutely phenomenal on Frank Pollock. Pollock's part. Uh, but I also know a lot of people were calling for Frank Pollock's job early on in the season when the team is starting 0-2, when they lose you know, the Monday Night Football game. And, and a lot of people are like, done with them. Done with Zach Taylor, done with Frank Pollock, get rid of them all. And then they found a way to work out with the offense. But is there any other things that you'd like to talk about with Frank Pollock? Uh,
0: also went to the combine, did not be Zach Taylor's 40 time. He ran a five three three. Uh Only 286 pounds of the combine, which is Big, but offensive lineman, I think 300 and uh, did 22 reps on the bench press. This was back in uh, the nineties though, oh. 1990. This is almost the eighties. <laughs> uh, so just wanted to just want to hit all of that fun trivia there, but uh six round pick. Only one of the guys that we've talked about that got drafted, but um, yeah, I remember answering questions a lot early on in the year is like, when do you get rid of Frank Pollock? It's like, well, I'll give it time. And Eventually, it finally did work out. Um, Stinks. He, I feel like offensive line. You just always have to deal with injuries at some point, but you kind of hope those injuries aren't in the most important games, <laughs> like the AFC Championship game. What he did in the divisional round was great. I think that is a sign of like he can make it work. Uh, it's just you know the talent eventually caught up to him in that AFC Championship game. I don't put a lot of that on him. Uh, yeah, it, it, I feel like nobody's stock has risen more from where he was early on this year to where he seems to be now. Uh, where early on this year, I, I mean, I didn't put him there, but it felt like a hot seat. A lot of people are on the hot seat. It's like, we need to make a change. This offensive line, there's too much talent for them to be underperforming. Um, and then he got better. And uh, I think that's. I think, I think it's great. I think it's great that not just he got better, but the players start playing better and start playing, communicating better. Everybody started working out better, gelling. I'm excited to see what he can add to the run game and maybe with the other guys the play action game this year, all from the shotgun compared to last year where it felt like just getting that stuff implemented and run well was kind of a big success.
1: All you have to do is go on the bird app of Twitter. And search fire Frank Pollock. (laughs) You will see the early September, October, even November. And there is January 30th, the day I want to say it was the day before or the day after the AFC championship game. Fire Frank Pollock, which is absolutely bizarre to me when you're down three offensive linemen to say that Frank Pollock should be fired. Um, but there was a lot of question marks early on, and he was able to figure it out. And I'm really excited to see what Orlando Brown and Frank Pollock will look like together. Uh, you know, we'll hear a lot more when it comes to camp battles, when it comes to the backup positions, you get Lyle Collins, who has been in Cincinnati all offseason. He's already a training camp early. I know Jonah Williams is another one who uh, stayed in Cincinnati to get a lot of work in, and I just think that's that's really telling when it comes to the offensive line room as a whole. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not down on Frank Paul. Look, could it come back and, and get me if um, the starting offensive line just doesn't work out very well going into the season, which I feel like would be a huge downer uh, for me personally, because I do think it's going to be one of the best if they stay healthy that Joe Burrows had since he's been in Cincinnati. But overall, I'm excited for it. I can't wait to see what he does with Joe Mixon as the run game coordinator again going into the season. Um, and I do feel like that's going to be a difference. But overall, when it comes to this offense, big picture, you look at these guys and, and everybody's coming back again. You get your quarterback in Joe Burrow. You have Zach Taylor play caller, Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher, Frank Pollock. What do we hope to see? Because I still feel like, besides the explosive plays that we want to see with this offense, what are the things are you looking forward to as the offense as a whole going into 2023?
0: Really as a whole, yes more explosive plays because that was the thing i was lacking last year maintaining really good efficiency being top five in points per game Mm -hmm. um some of that comes down to health but and using your talent putting them in good spots to make these plays and win and their one-on-one matchups and everything else I, i just i'm looking for taking what was there last year and building on it i think that's the easiest way to think about it it's just not trying to regress into what wasn't working and just being like well we'll practice it more and it'll work this time i think it's just taking the idea like that didn't work this is what works and we need to build on the stuff that works to create an even more impressive offensive array
1: yeah i think all of that that's what we should see offensively because i've said it before you look at the past few postseasons, and it really just feels like the defense has stepped up i know you can point at things in the afc championship game and be like oh That that stung. But when you stop Kansas City and you only allow them to score 23 points, you should win the game. Um, But offensively, just really couldn't get anything going. I think my expectations going into the season and obviously nothing's a given. But if they make the playoffs again, which I feel like they should, um, I do think that they should win the AFC North again. I know it, it hasn't happened three times in a row for any AFC North team, but I do feel like they should win it again. I would be a little bit of a letdown if they didn't, but I know that the Baltimore Ravens, if they can stay healthy, they are a favorite too. Um, I, I wanna see this, t- I want to see more of this offense in the playoffs. I really do. I know a lot of people cherry pick Joe Burrow's stats and they like to compare it to other quarterbacks, Josh Allen, which is absolutely wild to me. Uh, but they'll do it when it comes to the postseason. I, I, I think there are plenty of plays that they left off the field um in in most of the postseason, even though they have five playoff ones under Joe Burrow. I just I want to see more there. I think that's when I when I think about this offense, and and I shouldn't skip over regular season, but if I were to look at things outside of explosive plays and and other things within this offense and, and expectations, it's it's more in the postseason because I think they can do more. You have all the talent in the world. It just kind of felt like a a little bit of a um a letdown in the AFC championship game, and I know they're without three offensive linemen, so I hate even saying that, but it did feel like it was kind of a a, a rough start to begin that game.
0: Yeah, I think in general, in the playoffs the offense hasn't performed at the level you might expect them to. And I think that would be the one thing to look at with everybody on how they can improve is to, and it's always harder because the best teams, in, the teams are in the playoffs. They're all good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, Sometimes that's seven C that's an okay team rather than a good one. But I don't think the Bengals have played too many teams that are just okay. I mean, maybe you're looking at the Raiders, their first playoff game, but in general, both these teams are good, so it's harder to score. But they're also good offenses. It feels like Lou Anarumo has done a great job in the playoffs of getting his guys to play even better in those situations. So can we get – I think the Bills game was exciting. I think that is one you could point to. But other than the Bills game, it felt like the offense is always something is going on. Like, ah, man, you, you just expect more. The Ravens game, the Super Bowl. Uh, this past AFC championship game, maybe not the 2021 AFC championship game, but you did for a half, half the game. You're like, come on, where is it? Um, And even that Raiders game, the Ravens game, it's like, they don't go out there and just show like hang 32 points or something on the defense. And like the team is chilling in the fourth quarter. Like the, the, nothing matters. Uh, So, I think if they ever were able to put together both the offense and the defense, which they did in the Bills game, that's the closest it's come, but that divisional game, I think it was the closest it's come to both working together, which it, it did there. Um, you want to see more of that Bills type of game. You want to see more games where it feels like the offense is a or not.
1: Yeah, it's funny going back to the Bills game. I remember feeling, I've never f- felt that way in a first half of a playoff game to be like, I feel so good about this game. Like they should, they should have put 48 points up or in the forties, at least just, there were some calls that didn't go their way. The Cincinnati Bengals way. And that Jamar chase touchdown. I get it. I get the rules, but that one still bothers me so much because it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and they're lucky. Yeah. The bills are lucky. It, it didn't look worse than, than what, it, than what the outcome already was. Uh, but yeah, I just, I feel like there's more this offense can do. And the thing is, when you look at the Super Bowl, they had if they would have had one more drive, you know, one more drive that resulted in a touchdown versus a field goal, um, you know, you're gonna win the game. You're gonna win the Super Bowl. And it just felt like um you didn't have that in the Super Bowl. You didn't have an AFC championship game. And then, you know, the Raiders game early on too in in that first wild card game. It's just it, it's easy to point at the offensive line issues in those games. But at the same time, you go to the Bills and you're playing with your backups too. Um, and they were able to win that game. And I know what the conditions were. But overall, I would say that, and I hate to skip over what regular season would look like because that's going to be really exciting with this offense. But I think you can take what you, what you, we will see in regular season if it is explosive plays that, that you know, results in the postseason too for this offense and, and what we could see um, the rest of the season and in the postseason. If they get there, I hate to say that, Because I don't want to say, like, oh, it's automatic automatic win. They're going to be in the playoffs. But they should. I think it would be very disappointing if this team didn't make the playoffs when you have all the talent in the world. And you are returning quite a few of your players. I don't look at the safety position, you know, down as much as other people. I don't think that's going to stop them from getting to the postseason. Uh, But it should be – they should be back again. So just got to see – I hate even saying that. Got to see more out of your offense when, you know, they are one of the best offenses in the NFL and they do have all the talent. You have Joe Burrow in that wide receiver group. And I think we're going to see more out of the run game. I do. Chase Brown. How are you feeling about him right now?
0: I'm excited about Chase Brown. I think, um, what he is to me, I've said this a few times is kind of that jolt of energy. You're hoping to just drop in for an explosive play. Uh, when the running back, whether it's Mixon or Williams is giving you three yards, four yards, five yards, five yards, two yards, but you're not, you know, like the offense is just kind of stalling out a little bit. Maybe they're getting field goals, but they're stalling out. Just drop him in there for a drive and just see, okay, this guy, he can run, you know, and he's explosive. He's got home run speed. So let's drop him in there and see if he can just create an explosive play. if We can get it blocked up. Um, That's where I am on chase Brown. It's hard to have too many opinions about him because he hasn't played any NFL football, but, I think for a fifth-round pick, I'm more excited than I guess I would expect most positions at the fifth round. It's just running back has been so devalued that you can get a pretty good rotational running back in the fifth round now.
1: I agree, and I think some of the biggest question marks with him, and I know when he was drafted, we talked about this. A lot of people were like, oh, he has a little tread on the tires. But me personally... I'm not I'm not too concerned about that because I think a lot of teams in the NFL, they've learned you're probably not going to have a running back long term. It it is going to be a three to four year situation. And I know we've talked plenty about Joe Mixon and his contract extension and the restructure, you know what that could look like. But I just think a lot of teams are like, look, we're going to take you for about three to four years. Um, If you last longer than that, maybe you work out a one to two year extension. But it's just a different kind of league when it comes to running the football. Uh, I, I am. I'm excited to see what Chase Brown's able to do. Zeke is still available.
0: He sure is. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Bengals ever pull that trigger. If the money gets down enough, just because he fits the Samaj P. Ryan role really well. Um There's nothing to do with Zeke, like take over Zeke, take over. Mm-hmm. Zeke's going to dominate this backfield. They're going to run it back like Frank Pollock and Zeke. They worked together when uh, Zeke ran for a billion yards. I don't, I don't think anybody's expecting that. I think it's just, Yes, he can serve a role in this backfield, which I think for if you are a fantasy football person, uh, Zeke signing, I think would be like the worst. I, I, I almost would just throw away the Bengals. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> it's no, not
1: going to work. <laughs>
0: uh, three people, four, four running backs.
1: Who's getting the ball? I mean, now it would be fun as a Bengals fan to watch that. I would be all about yes, it. I'm Absolutely. I'm it. But yeah, if you're a fantasy football owner, you're like, mm, I'm going to sit that out. Probably like right not. Yeah.
0: Right now, it feels like, yeah, draft Joe Mixon. He's going to be the starting running back. He's going to get a bunch of carries. Zeke comes here, and I still feel like, you know, if you are going to draft one, it's probably yeah. Mixon, but <laughs> it would very much be like, well, you're probably going to be disappointed when they pull Mixon out at the one yard line. Zeke goes in, runs it in on a, like a, just right up the middle. Like, ah, Mixon could have done that type of thing. I don't know. It was the first thing that came to my mind just because I'm like, I'm already looking at, I think, three running backs so and get plenty of carries this year. If Zeke signs, maybe that he just takes what Travion Williams does, but I think if you're going to sign him, he does more. He does more than what Travion Williams does. And then Chase Brown, you drafted him, you're still going to use him. And then maybe Williams doesn't see the field much in that one, but they did go out and sign him. So maybe he still would see some action. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for Chase Brown more than I think the rest. I think Joe Mixon could have a bounce back. I know we're at the end of the podcast do you think yeah do you think the odds are Joe Mixon could look better this year than he did last year
1: I think that is 100 percent I know a lot of people are still on the outside and they're like oh Orlando Brown what is that going to make a huge difference yes it's an upgrade at left tackle it definitely is and I'm all about Jonah Williams if he can produce that right tackle a good offensive line is going to help your running back um I I truly feel like it is a bounce back year Joe Mixon heard everybody talk this offseason he knows it There were a lot of people. You know, we've had plenty of conversations when it comes to Joe Mixon. This whole off season was dedicated to Joe Mixon versus Jonah Williams. Um, I've said it before. I hope Joe Mixon has himself the best year he's had in Cincinnati. Um, It would be absolutely huge to get get your run game and your uh, your your game going in the air with your wide receivers. So I'm all about it. Passing, run the ball, get everything going. Have a good offensive line, and that is great news for Joe Burrow. So yes, I'm. And you know what? You know what's great, and I'm going to wrap this up after this. But this is the time of year in the next few weeks when those players who have yet to sign with the team, they start to come in for some camp visits. There's a possibility of signings. You have your camp bodies, your position battles. And I feel like Zeke, we could hear about Zeke with a new team over the next few weeks as training starts. So we'll see. We'll see. Cincinnati. It's pretty quiet in the Zeke front, actually. Uh, but we'll see where he's at and if the Bengals add to the running back room. But right now it looks like uh, Joe Mixon, Chase Brown, and Travion Williams. But that's it for It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. It is uh, coming down to about a week until training camp, and we'll have all of that coming soon. Thank you for listening. You can follow Bengals underscore Sands at LNDS Patterson. And thank you for listening too. It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.